Jesus Christ is coming again. You know that? He is going to return. He came once in humility. He will return in glory. He ain't going to be coming on a donkey next time. You know what I'm talking about? He's going to come on a white horse to take us home. And this is a day of rejoicing for those of us who are in Christ. It's a day that we can look forward to with great joy as we await the fulfillment of our hope, as we anticipate the coming of new. When Christ will take all of these broken things that we experience and he will make them new. Friends, can you imagine? Can you imagine that great day when we will see Jesus face to face? Can you imagine the realization of what Peter talks about in verse 13 of chapter 3? When we will see the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Right? Sounds good to me. Righteousness does not dwell here, unfortunately. There's a whole lot of unrighteousness, a whole lot of brokenness, a whole lot of sin, a whole lot of things that lead to discouragement, a whole lot of things that lead to darkness. But there is coming a day when all those things will be no more. There is coming a day when all those things will be taken away, will be judged, will be removed, when things will be set right. And that day will be the day when Christ Jesus returns. It's a day of rejoicing for those of us who are in Christ. But as we also saw last week, it will be a day of despair for those of us who are not in Christ. A day of hope, realized hope for those people who have been saved by Jesus. And a day that will begin an eternity of judgment for those of us who have never given our life to Christ. And this presents a tension in us, doesn't it? We want to be sure that we are in Jesus. We want to know that we are in Christ so that the promise of his return, the certainty of his coming will be an encouragement to us, will be a day that we look forward to that, that drives our life presently and not a day of fear, not a day of despair, not a day of worry. It's possible that many people in this room do not look at the return of Christ with hope because they're uncertain about where they stand before the Lord Jesus. I want you to hear this morning the, the call of the Apostle Peter. He wants you as a believer, if you remember back in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, to make your calling and election sure. Sure. He's writing about the return of Christ in 2 Peter because he wants it to be a, a source of encouragement to those who are in Christ and a call to repentance for those, hear me, who are in the church but are not of Christ, who are teaching things that do not honor the Lord, who are perverting the truth to pursue their own sinful desires. Peter's addressing a problem among the people of God. That in the, the physical church, there are people who claim to be Christians who are not necessarily part of the real church, the spiritual church, the true people of God. And that's a weighty thing to be aware of. That not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That there are people who have done work in the name of Jesus who are not of him. 
But Peter wants you to be sure. He wants you to have confidence in the salvation that Christ has provided for you. He wants you to have assurance that there is an active faith given to you by God through the work of the Spirit in response to the gospel that will secure you and will make his return a day of rejoicing. You see, for Peter, there is something about how we, as the people of God, handle the time between Christ's first coming and his second coming that is meant to strengthen our confidence in the saving work of God in our life. There's something about how we handle the time between his first coming and his second coming that is meant to strengthen our confidence in our salvation so that his return is something we long for, something we hope for, something that we will rejoice in rather than something that we worry about. Now, I want to be clear here. We're not saying that our actions save us, okay? We are not saying that the work that you do will save you to the point where you can be secure in your work for the return of Christ. We want to be very clear here. We believe that the Bible teaches that salvation is entirely a work of God. It is not your work. You cannot do it. You cannot be good enough to achieve salvation because once you've sinned and imperfect has set in, you cannot once again return to perfect on your own. That is entirely a work of God. But here's what we do want to say that the work of God in your life will show up. That there will be evidence of true saving faith in your life. And that should be an encouragement to you. An encouragement to you that there's evidence of the work of God in your life such that you can look at it and you can be resolved once again in the certainty of the saving work of God and look forward to his return. The danger for us is when we begin to confuse evidence of faith with the foundation of faith or the cause of faith. When, when evidence of salvation begins confused to be confused with the cause of salvation. No, no. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. Entirely a work of God. But it is also true that that work of God will show up in your life. And these evidences should be an encouragement to you as a believer that you are in Christ so that you can make your calling and election sure. And that when Christ returns, you can know without a doubt that you are his. For believers, there is an activeness in our waiting there are actions in our waiting for the return of Christ that evidence true faith, that evidence true belief, that you are truly a part of Christ. Why? Because believers know where their hope truly lies. Believers know, followers of Christ, people with faith, God-given faith, they know where their hope truly lies, and they do not make it about this world. They know the limitations of this world, and they set their hope on something greater. They evidence fruit as they are driven by the promise of salvation in Christ and the sure return of their king. Here's our main point this morning, and maybe the whole point of 2 Peter. Active waiting confirms our calling. 
active waiting confirms our calling as followers of Christ. The way that we wait for the return of Jesus can confirm our calling or make us question it. How we, how we live until Christ returns or we go home through death, how we respond to the things of God can give us confidence in our salvation or make us question it. And God is mercy and his goodness has given us evidences of faith that are meant to encourage us and give us more confidence in the saving work of Jesus. How we wait reveals what we truly long for. How we wait speaks to the reality of our salvation and it affirms it in us. It strengthens the certainty of God's work in us. Again, not to add to salvation, but to simply reveal the salvation that is already ours in Christ. If you are waiting rightly, as we will see from 2 Peter today, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be emboldened in your faith. But if you're not waiting rightly, this may be a day for some spiritual conversation with the Lord. To wrestle with why the evidences of faith are not present in your life. It may be that you're not a Christian, that you're not a follower of Christ, or it may be that you're not walking faithfully and the fruit of faith you're not allowing to bring forth in your life. This is a very important conversation for us to have, guys. And I'm always nervous about it because I never want to incite fear for fear's sake, right? I don't want you to walk away today confused, are fearful about your state before the Lord. I want you to go away in confidence that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are in Christ. And as we walk through the evidences of faith that are present in these final four or five verses in the, the epistle of 2 Peter, I want you to do some spiritual conversing with God as we unveil the, the four evidences that Peter puts forth about faithful waiting, that you ask, are these things present in my life such that there's evidence in my life of faith so that I can look forward to the day when Christ returns? Or are they not? And if there's something wrong to the point where I'm genuinely fearful of the return of Christ, that today I would get that straight because I don't want to fear it any longer. I want to long for it, for the promise that it provides for me in Jesus. So let's see how Peter closes his epistle with an encouragement to the church of God in our text. Beginning in verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 3, here's what the word of God says. Therefore, beloved church, since you are waiting for these things, waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. 
You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, again, Peter is reinforcing the idea that there are qualities of a true believer, someone who has true saving faith that should show up in their life while they wait the return of Christ. Qualities that, if they are in your life, should increase your confidence in the work of the Lord. Evidence of true saving faith. Now, what are these evidences? that Peter puts forward here that are evidence of true saving faith. The first one is this. Those called of God pursue Christ's likeness. Verse 14. Beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent, he says. Those who are truly in Christ seek to be like him. We should be found pure, spotless, and without blemish. Now, who in the New Testament do you know who's been described as that way? Pure, spotless, without blemish. Jesus. As a follower of Christ, someone who has true saving faith in your life, you're going to desire to be like Christ. Now, this is evidence of true saving faith and and. Peter is bringing this discussion because there are people in the church, this church that he's writing to, who are not pursuing Christ's likeness. They are not pursuing pureness. They are not trying to be without spot or blemish. They're trying to indulge in the sinful pleasures of this world. They're rejecting the things of God, and they are using the teaching of Scripture to reinforce their rejection. That's why they are false teachers. Peter says their behavior is evidencing someone who's not of God. But you, if you are in Christ and you are truly longing for the day of Christ's return, if there's true faith in your life, you're going to be pursuing diligently Christ-likeness. Now let's talk about that word diligent there. Diligently pursuing Christ-likeness. True faith, saving faith, results in diligent pursuit of Christ-likeness. Diligent means to do something with intense effort. Intense effort. Now, I was thinking in the course of my life when I have, this is not very often, given some intense effort towards something. And I was thinking about my PhD. And can I just have a moment of confession for you guys? I'm so ready for this school to be done with. Uh, So over this degree, I can't even tell you how much I'm ready for this dissertation to be written and off my plate. And I'm sure my wife would echo that. Because here's why. It is consuming. The work of writing a PhD is consuming. Every morning I wake up and I think, I've got to read or write something today. Every morning. Every morning I've got to understand someone else's argument. Every morning I've got to get through 80 to 100 pages of reading. Every morning I need to write 10, 15 pages of of paper in order to get to the threshold I need to finish this dissertation and turn it in. It's diligent. As I seek to understand and formulate an argument, this last chapter I just turned in, I rewrote it four times over the course of a year. I wrote 210 pages to get to 50 pages 
over and over and over again, revising, 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 understanding arguments, clarifying arguments, making sure that my argument was clear. I have to be diligent in shaping that, right? Now, I want you to think about your life with Christ. Do you pursue Christ with that kind of diligence? To the point where every morning you wake up and you think, today I want to be more like Christ. Today I want to to know more about him. I want to learn more about him. And I want to put that into practice in my life. And at first that can seem burdensome to you because the paper certainly is burdensome. But here's what I want to tell you. As a follower of Christ, that is not burdensome. It is a joy to want to be more like Jesus because it is empowered work by the Spirit. It's not something you're doing in your own strength. It is something that God is empowering for your good and for his glory. We are called to diligently pursue Christ-likeness. The called of God, those who have true saving faith, devote themselves to being like Christ. Evidence of faith. Again, not the cause of faith, but evidence of faith is that you want to be more like Jesus. Now, Jared, I thought God had already made me holy in salvation. I thought God had already declared me righteous. So why do I need to work toward greater righteousness? Why do I need to work toward greater Christ-likeness? Everybody in this room knows that when we became followers of Christ, we didn't immediately become completely obedient to every single command that God had ever given. Testimonies in the room, right? There's still imperfection in our life. And that kind of question about why we need to work on the other side of salvation confuses the work of salvation and the work of sanctification. So two different things. It is absolutely 100% true that the moment that you repent of your sins and believe upon Christ for salvation, you are declared free from the guilt of your sin. That you are declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. That God has spoken freedom over you from the guilt of your sin. But that does not mean that you are walking in your flesh in this life in full accordance with what God has already spoken over you. The Christian life is to walk in alignment with what God has already declared over you until he comes back. And so our life is seeking to honor the Lord and the freedom that he has now given us by living in obedience as Christ lived. Here's a key point about the nature of salvation as we understand the scripture to teach it. The work of Christ enables our obedience. The work of Christ in salvation enables our obedience. A, an evidence of faith, true saving faith in your life is that now you are able to choose to be like Christ, that you are able to be obedient to God where you were not able to be obedient before. Hear me. Before the work of Christ in your life, you could not choose to be obedient to God. You want to know why? Because you were a slave to unrighteousness. You are a slave to sin. And the freedom that you have in Christ now is to be able in the empowerment of the Spirit to choose to be like Christ. That's what Paul teaches us in Romans. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23. 
Let me read this for you. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of, of whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Thanks, Paul, for the, whatever word that is, the accommodation there. Thank you. For just as once you presented yourselves, members, uh, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification or greater holiness, more like Christness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear what, Peter, what Paul is saying there? Before Christ, you were a slave to sin. You would always choose sin. You would always choose things that honor yourself and do not honor the Lord, that were motivated by our desire to glorify you or satisfy you rather than glorify and desire God. The freedom you have in Christ is not a freedom of responsibility to be obedient. It's a freedom that allows you to be obedient to Christ where you could not be obedient before. Now again, that's not to save you, but if you are in Christ, you now have the freedom to live and act in such a way that you honor and glorify God. You pursue Christ-likeness, and joyfully so, because of the empowerment of the Spirit in your life. And Peter says, is there evidence in your life, diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish at peace? Are you being diligent in this way? Because when you are diligent in this way, it enables you to make your calling and election sure. Because this kind of behavior is not natural. It is supernatural. It is evidence of faith. Do you see it in your life? Well, let's get practical for a moment. Let's, get, um, let's do a, a, a case study. Let's, let's think about an opportunity or a moment when you have the potential to gossip. Gossip, right? Everybody okay with gossip? It's a, it's a small little sin, Right? It's not that big of a deal. We can be okay with gossip. I'm just kidding. It's terrible. Let's think about a moment that you have an opportunity to gossip. What should go through your mind if you are truly in a place of saving faith in your life? What's the, what's the response that we should have to a temptation to sin by gossip, to demean someone, tear someone down, to uh, exaggerate something bad about someone in order to make ourselves look better or to get what we want. That's what gossip is. So when you're sitting at your kitchen table with a friend, when you're sitting at a coffee shop, when you're in ABF, when you're sitting at church, an opportunity comes for you to gossip. 
How should you respond as a follower of Christ? Well, here's what you think. Well, God created me with a mouth. And he created me with a tongue. And I'm supposed to use those words to glorify him. As a follower of Christ and a member of the church, I'm supposed to use those words to build up the church. And so what would Christ do right now in this moment? He would not speak in a way that is unflattering, unfair, exaggerated, or destructive. He would speak in a way that builds up and encourages and gives life. And so I'm going to choose to do that. I'm going to choose to do that. And the empowerment of the Spirit, I'm going to recognize I could choose one of two different ways. And I'm going to, because of the work of God in my life, choose to be like Christ. Is that true in your life? Do you have moments like that in your life where because of the work of the Spirit, you come to a moment of realization that you could choose not to be like Christ or to be like him, and more and more and more through the course of your life, you are choosing to be like him. Doesn't mean you're always going to be perfect, right? But even those moments where we don't choose rightly, we repent, and we fall upon the grace of God for not being Christ-like, but the desire of our heart is to be Christ-like because that is evidence of faith. What about your life? Not just gossip, any sin. Is there evidence of a diligent desire to pursue Christ? If there is, hear me this morning, that's supposed to be an encouragement to you. Not that you're always perfect but that there's evidence of you diligently pursuing Christ's likeness and it secures your hope in Christ. It makes your calling and election sure such that you can hear about and think about the return of Christ and it can be a source of hope for you. But if not, if you're choosing unchrist likeness all the time, if you faked it for a little while, but now there seems to be no evidence in your life of diligently pursuing Christ, there is a problem. There's a problem. Doesn't mean you're not a believer. It can mean you're not walking faithfully after him, but you need to repent of that too. But it could mean that you're not a believer as well. And that's so important for us to hear about in the Bible Belt. A lot of us in this room probably grew up in church and we think that we inherited a faith because our parents believed in Jesus. Friends, hear me this morning. If you've never repented and believed in Christ, alone for salvation, which the Bible says is the evidence of true saving faith, you are not a believer, not a follower of Christ. And there's never been a moment in your life where you recognize your sin and you repent of it, and you turn to Christ alone for salvation, you are not a follower of Christ. But if you have, there will be evidence of true faith in your life. Now, listen, I don't want that to be worrying for no reason. I want the Spirit to use it. And if right now you feel the tension of, I don't know that I've ever done that, I want you to pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you give me clarity? Do I have confidence that you have saved me, that I have repented and believed, that I have given my life to you? 
Would you pray that right now? And if you cannot in good conscience come away with a conviction that you are truly in Christ, then my prayer would be at the end of this service when we have pastors and ministers up here that you would come forward because I do not want you to walk away today with confusion. I want you to walk away with confidence. And if there is in your life mixed evidence where you say, Jared, I see some desire to grow in Christ-likeness, but I also see times where I've chosen not to, and it's created this uncertainty in my heart to where I don't know truly if I'm a follower of Christ, then our pastors and ministers would love to wrestle with you up here and lead you to a place of repentance so that your life becomes a, a constant reminder of the confidence you can have in the salvation of Christ and not evidence for you to start worrying. That's what Peter wants for you that your calling and election would be sure. And one of the evidence is that you diligently pursue Christ's likeness. That's the first one. The second one that Peter mentions in verse 15 as an evidence of sure salvation, true faith, is that the call of God trust in the timing of the Lord. Peter says that believers consider the patience of the Lord as salvation not as an indictment on his character. Remember, that's what the false teachers were doing last, last week in our text from last week. They were saying the patience of God or the delay of God to address injustice was evidence of the fact that God doesn't really care. He doesn't care about injustice. So go do whatever you want to do because God doesn't care. And Peter says that could not be further from the truth, right? It's not that God doesn't care that brings about his delay in judging injustice. It's precisely because God does care that he delays. Because he wants all the people whom his son died for to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and be saved. He's longing for salvation, and that's why he is delaying judgment. And Peter is saying, you have to have that perspective if you were a follower of Christ. True evidence of faith is that you trust God. True evidence of faith is that you trust God's timing. And you long for the day that he will return. And you trust in the delay of his return because you trust in the character and the nature of God. How do you respond, follower of Christ, when you see evil around the world and you think it's winning? How do you respond when you see injustice and you feel like it's being excused, not judged? Last week I was watching Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live and uh, one of their commentators came on Weekend Update, which is a segment they have, and began addressing the, the abortion laws that have been coming across our country, right? Where several states have been uh, enacting laws that are more restrictive on abortion rights. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that in many of these states, they're, they are restricting the ability to have an abortion because we recognize that all life is given by God and every baby is formed in a mother's womb, okay? And so we, we see the devastation. We see the tragedy of abortion. And we're grateful that there are laws that are upcoming that are restricting access to abortion because we want life to matter. And I, I see this person come up on this, uh, this TV show and begin just bashing anyone who would be for life. 
because she wants her freedom as a woman to trump the freedom of this baby to live. And what really shocked me as she began kind of lambasting any argument against life was not so much the argument, because I've heard the argument over and over again, but it was the celebration of the argument. It was the celebration of a woman's, a woman's right to choose her life or her, um, in, in most cases, her um, freedom, her, her ease in life over the life of this child. And what got me thinking was, how far have we come as a society where it's not just an argument, it's not just a, a debate, a sad debate over whether or not abortion should be legal or illegal, but it's celebrated. It's celebrated. The, the, the murder of a child is celebrated. Now, even if you give some exceptions to the rule where a mother's life is in danger or there is some sort of issue in the baby, some, some abnormality that would cause this baby to not live, and they're 100% certain of that. Even if you, if you give the, the ability to have a conversation in the, term, uh, in, in the instance of rape and incest, it should not be conversation that is celebrated. It should be a conversation that leads us to brokenness because of the, the evidence of the sinfulness of this world. I'm sitting there watching these people celebrate the mutilation of unborn babies, and I'm thinking in my, my earthly mind, God, how do you allow this injustice to happen? How do you not come and, and correct this? But in that same moment, I'm pointed back to the gospel. And I'm thinking about these, this woman who's deceived and thinking her reproductive freedom is the greatest freedom that she can find. And she's willing to go on national television and promote the killing of innocent children in order to secure her freedom. And I'm broken over that because I know where true freedom is found. It's not found in reproductive rights, sexual freedom. It's found in Christ. And I want my God to delay as long as possible for me to tell as many people as possible about the hope that they can only find in Christ. Those people are deceived. And the gospel, faith in me, true saving faith, leads me to a place where I can have pity on them, pray for them, and a desire to share the gospel with them until Christ returns. That's evidence of faith, that we have this perspective, that we count the patience of God as not indifference, but grace, to let us do gospel work. Is that true in your life? Do you find yourself in hopelessness a lot? Do you find yourself burdened and broken in an unhealthy way to the point where you're immoved or you're, you're unable to, to respond in any kind of way because of all the depravity and the brokenness of this world? Or does it drive you deeper into the hope of the gospel? How you perceive justice and injustice, how you perceive evil in this world is a reflection of true saving faith. That you don't question the character of God, you trust in it more. Is that true in your life? Peter says that that's true in your life. That's another evidence of salvation that can make your calling and, select and election secure. So the day of the Lord can be a, a day of rejoicing for you. Thirdly, third evidence Peter mentions here of true faith, 
the called of God devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles. The called of God rejoice and love the word of God. You see them verses 15 to 17. Look at verse 17 first though. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. The followers of Christ, true followers of Christ, those who have saving faith within them, find their stability in the revealed word of God. Our faith is a revealed faith. We would not know about God. We would not know his redemptive plan. We would not know the saving work that he has provided for us in Christ if God had not inspired it to be written down and and, uh, and given to us from the testimony of the apostles. This, this book right here is a gift to us because we understand how it reveals God to us so that we can know him and love him more. And we're grateful for the work of the apostles, men mentioned here like Peter and Paul, testimonies, eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ who are uniquely empowered to think about the things of God and to speak the truth of God to us so that today we can sit here and have communion with God through his word. And Peter says, you, have a, you should have a longing in your hearts to know the things of God from the word of God if there is true faith in your heart. If you are a, a true follower of Christ, there's going to be a desire to a diligence to not be carried away with error, but to know, to take care, to know the truth of God's word, to know the scriptures. It's important for us to recognize that there's a diligence and understanding the word of God. There's a, an activity in the life of the believer that shows a desire, evidence is a desire to know God's word more faithfully because sometimes it's hard to understand. This is Peter testifying to Paul, and many of you maybe could, re- could relate to Peter's testimony about the writing of Paul. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. <laughs> Anybody ever been there reading Paul? Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. If you have true faith in your life, there's going to be a desire to know the scripture rightly because you want to understand what God is revealing about himself and the expectation that he has for us as believers. Did you know that not every time you read a scripture the first time you've understood it rightly? Anybody ever read a text and you think you got it and then you start reading it in context and you think, man, I missed that completely. We are diligent to understand it because we don't always understand it the first time. There are things that are unclear that we have to work to understand and and use the rest of scripture to help clarify for us. Did you know that not every verse that's taken out of context and put on a t-shirt or a, a mug or some sign for your home, do you know that you cannot understand that verse in isolation every time? That you need to, to see it in this context and make sure that you're applying it to your life rightly so that you don't think that God has promised you something that he has not. We seek to know God's word and the most clarity we can, because we know how important it is. That's an evidence of faith to value the word of God. Believers are not passive in their reading. They should be active. We should not think that this is just easy. 
that we, we dive diligently in the empowerment of the Spirit to understand the Word of God. That's what John 14 and John 16 say. The Holy Spirit helps us, but we are diligent in making sure that we understand the things of God because they help us to know Him and love Him more. Is there an evidence in your life of diligently pursuing the Word of God? That should give you encouragement, evidence of faith. And finally, Peter says, the call of God, seek to grow in grace and knowledge. Verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Honestly, everything that we've said to this point could be characterized by pursuing grace and truth. The people of God should be a people who are gracious and truthful because it's reflective of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord as followers of Jesus. And true saving faith and the the life of the believer will evidence itself in both a reflection of Christ as Savior and Christ as Lord. Christ as Savior should lead us to be a gracious people. Christ as Lord should lead us to be a people who are passionate about truth so that we can obey our Lord. Everybody in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, your life should be characterized by growing graciousness and growing knowledge of God so that you can follow him more faithfully. Think about that. As followers of Christ, we should be the most gracious people on the planet. Because we know, we know how sinful we are. We know how broken we are. And yet we know how God has loved us in Jesus. And so if there's true faith in your life, that you recognize who you are and what God has done for you in Christ, then that should be flowing out of you in grace to one another. Loving one another, encouraging one another, empowering one another. But it is also the case that Christ is Lord of our life. And so there should be truth in our life as well. Grace does not mean there is no standard. Of course, there's a standard of holiness. Grace means that we are gracious with one another as we pursue the standard. That we hold out in front of each other all the time. The standard of becoming more like Christ to please him until he returns. And we help each other as we stumble in that effort to become more and more like Jesus and pleasing to him. Are you growing, church, in grace and truth? Are you submitting to the will of God? And when you fail to submit to the will of God, are you repenting and asking for God's grace to be shown in your life once again? The reality is that in many churches, these things are divorced, not evidencing health and faithfulness. We're so gracious that we never hold each other accountable to Christ-likeness. Or... We're so accountable that we never offer each other grace. Both those things are not evidence of true saving faith. We're to grow in graciousness and knowledge of God. And this is evidence of God's faith or God's grace working within us. Here's Peter's point. The work of God in us right now should stir us about his future work. The work of God in us right now should encourage us regarding his future work. So here's where we are. What does your life look like, friends? 
Do you see any evidence in your life of saving faith? Any? Maybe some of you this, this morning are saying, Jared, I, I see all of this at work in my life, and I'm rejoicing in the grace of God to enable me to pursue Christ's likeness, to trust in his timing, to thirst for the things of God. I see me growing in grace and truth, not perfectly, not all the time, but I'm encouraged today because I know God is working in my life. I see the fruit of salvation, and I'm pursuing him. Praise the Lord. I want you to worship in just a minute. But maybe you're saying, Jared, I don't know. It's a mixed bag for me. I see some things, but not all of this. And it's leading me to question my faith. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend some time with the Lord. I want you to ask him to, to help you know, understand your heart. And if you need help with that, we're going to have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We would love to wrestle with you. We don't want you to walk away again with confusion today. We want you to walk away with clarity. And it may be that there is true saving faith in your heart, that God is birthed there. But you just don't have confidence in it because you haven't been choosing rightly. You haven't been walking in the freedom that God has provided for you. You can repent of that today and rest in his salvation. But it also may be possible that you're not a follower of Christ. And the absence of fruit in your life is meant to bring you to a point of brokenness. Where you, for the first time, give your life to Jesus. So that the return of Christ is a day of hope for you. Oh. We pray that today you would embrace the hope of Christ. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Do this work before the Lord. Father, would you speak to us today? Holy Spirit, would you bring us clarity today? It's our prayer. We don't want anybody in here confused, Father. We want people confident the salvation of Christ. They can see the evidence of faith flowing from their heart and their calling and election would be sure such that the return of Christ would be an encouragement, joy for them, not a thing that they fear. Would you help us to look at our lives, examine our lives and see the fruit of faith? Is it there? Do we see a longing for the things of God? Are we growing in grace and truth? Are we trusting you? Are we thirsting for your word? Pursuing Christ's likeness, not to save us, but as evidence of faith you've already given to us? If not, why not? Help us to wrestle God. Is there evidence of faith in our lives or not? If there's not, why? Father, I'm praying that in this moment you would call people to yourself. There would be people saved today that could look back on this day and know for certain that they are yours. I'm praying for clarity, God, that if there's, there are people in this room whose lives are not reflecting faith in every corner of their life, they would repent. So their lives become evidence of faith, not reasons to question faith. And Father, may we as a people be more resolved 
to place our joy in the future hope that you've promised us in Jesus. May we wait rightly in a way that's reflective of the faith that you've given to us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.